Back in August, I spoke at a weekend retreat where I gave three talks on the crisis of discipleship, how we can seek first the kingdom in a me-first world. Today's bonus audio is the second talk in that series and is all about committing to community. I think this talk will greatly encourage you in your faith, and if it does, please share it with a friend. It's a simple way that you can partner with us to spread the message and the mission of Jesus. Last night we talked about committing to Christ, and this weekend we're really focusing on on three commitments. There's a commitment that each of us is called to make to Jesus, the Son of God, the only one who decided to come down to earth. His life pre-existed his birth, and he is the Lamb of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah that God has sent into the earth and called us to respond to, to commit our lives to. Tonight we're going to talk about committing to community, and tomorrow we're going to talk about committing to the craft. I have another friend that gives me a hard time. She says I'm very Baptist, although I'm not, but I guess they like to start things off with the same letter. I like that because it makes it easier for me to remember. So tonight we're going to talk about committing to community. How many of you have heard the name Hernan Cortez? I thought so. (laughs) I was going to wait and look over here at Tyler. All right, so there's many of you have probably heard this story, and I wanted to start with it tonight, but there's a famous story from history. So this, this really happened about a Spanish conquistador named Hernan Cortez. And by the time Cortez and his men landed in Veracruz in 1519, the Aztecs had been ruling what is now central Mexico for hundreds of years. So Cortez arrives with 600 men and 11 ships, and he's ready to conquer and to to pillage, to get wealth, to get gold. He's got an issue, though, because he and his men are far from home. They're in a strange land. They are vastly outnumbered, and they're facing an empire that was famous for its warriors. So it would be expected that his men had their doubts about the outcome of this venture. And you can add to this that some of his men weren't loyal to Cortez. They were loyal to the governor of Cuba, who Cortez had defied and broken away from. So he was technically an outlaw. He was, he was a renegade with these 11 ships and these 600 men. So shortly after landing, some of his men came up with a plot to seize some of the ships and return to Cuba. So Cortez finds out about this plot and he captures and deals with the ringleaders. And then wanting to make sure that the rest of his men are completely committed to his mission and his quest for riches, he did something radical and unexpected. He gave the order to scuttle his own ships and he stranded himself and his men in enemy territory. There was no going back. But the path forward was pretty clear. It was gonna be all or nothing, 100% commitment. He had taken off the table the option for half effort or retreat. If they were gonna live through this, they were gonna have to win. And famously, the expedition was a success and Cortez and his men conquered the Aztecs. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of the story, but I did want to start with it because I think it demonstrates 
the importance and how making a decision to be radically committed from the outset of an endeavor can really make or break that endeavor, especially if it's an undertaking that is going to require great risk and sacrifice. You know, really making that commitment at the outset can go a long way to deciding the ultimate outcome of that undertaking. And I would argue that we see this kind of commitment demonstrated in the life of Jesus. So in Luke 2.51, we read that as his earthly ministry was drawing to a close and the days drew near for him to be taken up, Luke says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And one of the reasons why Luke uses that phrase is because Jesus knew exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. So can you imagine that? To to know the timeline of your life and to know that it's drawing to a close and to know the uh, betrayal and the suffering that awaits you in Jerusalem, that phrase that Jesus set his face, I think tells us that he made a choice to go forward in this life that the Father had set before him. In Mark's gospel, we read that they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. It's a really picturesque description that Mark is giving us. And it says that the rest of them were amazed and they were following behind afraid. And Jesus took the twelve aside once more and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, look, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Again, just an amazing description by Mark of the difference between Jesus and his men. In John's gospel, when Jesus raises Lazarus, which if you if you study the timeline was just a few months prior to what we're reading about here in Luke and Mark, but was still a very dangerous time for Jesus. But we read in John's gospel that Jesus tells them, let's go see Lazarus, because they knew that he was uh, sick. And Jesus says, let's go see him. But he lived in Judea, which was the southern portion of the Jewish homeland at that time. And because of the politics, it was run by the Romans. So it was under a Roman governor, who we find out later is Pilate. But the high priests had authority. So the the Roman governor extended authority to the high priest, and the high priest had his own police force so he could arrest Jesus if Jesus crossed into Judea. And so the disciples remind Jesus that, hey, just recently the Jews were trying to kill you and you're wanting to go back there. And uh, Thomas eventually speaks up and says, let's go and die with him. So the disciples were loyal to Jesus, but they weren't excited about this journey to Jerusalem because they knew full well that this was dangerous ground that they were going into. And Jesus committed himself at the outset And he modeled for us a life of radical commitment. So when he calls us to commit 
our lives to him, it's not something that, that he is unfamiliar with. And I know that we, we covered some heavy ground last night, but I truly believe that, that we need to make up our minds to be all in with Christ and for Christ. And there's no better time to do that than this weekend. This weekend is an opportunity for you to set your face like a flint. Jesus said that whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So last night was about sinking the ships, about not leaving yourself the option to be half-hearted or to retreat when the going gets rough. And I hope that some of you had some time last night or this morning to get some time alone with God and to do business with Him. I hope that you scuttled your ships, that you committed yourself fully to Christ, because that is a critical first step, and it's foundational. But it does have to be followed through in practical ways. So sinking the ships did not defeat the Aztecs. I'm reminded of a quote by Robert Coleman in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. If if you guys haven't read that, I would encourage you to check it out. Lots of great stuff, but one of the things he writes in there is that in a technical sense, life precedes action. But from a thoroughly practical point of view, we live by what we do. So for the balance of our time this evening and then tomorrow morning, I want to talk with you about two additional commitments. These two additional commitments that we need to make in order to live out our commitment to Jesus. Because Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many people claim to be loyal, but it's hard to find someone who really is. In the same way, many people claim to be committed to Christ, but how can we live our daily lives in a way that shows that we really are? And thankfully, God's Word does not leave us guessing. These two additional commitments that we're going to talk about tonight and tomorrow morning are some very practical ways that we can live out that commitment to Jesus. Committing ourselves to community and committing ourselves to the craft. Or another way of maybe saying that, actually the way I prefer to say it, but they don't start with C. Another way to say it is committing to the family and committing to the family business. I think that these two practical commitments will really help us live out our commitment to Jesus. So tonight, committing ourselves to community. Committing yourself to a family of believers. That's really what I want to talk to you about. You know, Community can be a general term, but tonight I want to specifically talk to you about committing yourself to a family of believers. We're going to talk about why it's important, and then I want to give you three, three things that you can do in order to make this commitment a reality. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is an amazing, beautiful passage, unique in Scripture. It describes Jesus coming into the world, and it gives us a broad picture of what His mission is and how our lives are transformed by Him. We're going to concentrate on verses 9 through 13. Uh, Follow along as I read this. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I just want to give some some quick thoughts on these verses. John tells us that Jesus came into the world to give us light, to reveal God to us. But more than that, to reconnect us to God. But more than that, to bring us into a relationship with God as our Father, to give us the right, the power to become God's children. When you and I put our faith in Christ, when we receive Him, when we believe in His name, in the name of Jesus, the one who was sent by God to save His people from their sins, John says that when that happens, we're born. We're born of God. I think it's amazing. It's an amazing way to describe our coming to faith, that what has just happened is birth. A spiritual birth has happened. And Jesus famously repeats this two chapters later in John chapter 3 when he's having his conversation with Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter it, you have to be born again. It's not enough to be born physically, to be born into an earthly family. You and I must also be born spiritually. We must become part of God's family. Did you know that the number one way that church is described in the New Testament is family? There's actually no close second. So someone has said that the the Bible doesn't so much define church as it describes it. And the number one way that it describes church is as family. It's so prevalent that we can actually miss it. If you want to understand church and what it means to be part of the church, you have to start understanding and thinking of it as family. So God is our father and we are his children and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the family of faith. We've been made part of the household of God. These are all phrases used in the New Testament. We've been made heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And what this tells us is that you were never meant to follow God alone. That was never part of the plan. And you were always born to be part of a family. So committing to a church is not a matter of finding a service that meets on Sunday and then faithfully showing up every week to sit, to sing, to listen. It's more than that. Committing to church is not a matter of finding a particular preacher whose style that you like and who appeals to you and then becoming a fan or a follower of that individual preacher. So how do we commit? What does it look like? That's what I want to finish with tonight. I want to give you three ways that you can commit yourself to community. And I I believe that these three ways are 
make or break actions. I don't know how you commit yourself to a community without taking these three steps. And so the first one is this. Define who your church family is. And I think it's, it's crazy because we'll commit to almost anything but this. So we'll commit ourselves to doctrines, to denominations, to Sunday services. I'm saying, who are the people, the believers in your local area that God wants you to be family with? What relationships do you need to commit yourself to? So I have something that I call the moving test, and it's especially relevant to a military community. Who is going to show up and help you move when the time comes? If you think about it, you'll probably know who they are. So give it some thought and then commit yourself to those relationships now. I cannot tell you how many times over the years we've had people get involved on the periphery of our groups only to commit themselves to a traditional Sunday service and then come moving time, who's there to help them? Not one person from those Sunday services that they've attended for two or three years. This has happened probably 10 times over the course of the last 20 years for me. But people from our fellowship, relationships that they did not commit to, are there helping them. And I'm not bitter about it. Like I'm genuinely not. (laughs) But what it tells me is that two or three years have passed for these folks without true community because no one's there to help them load up their, their household goods. And it's, it's a shame they've missed out on the opportunity to be part of a family of believers during that assignment. So who are the people who will help you move? Pray about it now. Give it some real thought. And then I'd encourage you to write down those names. And what you're doing is you're defining your church family. And then commit to those relationships. Don't, don't take them for granted. Identify who are the people that the Lord wants you to be family with. Now, all of us are part of the church, capital C. We're all part of the family of believers. Just like all of us are part of the family of the human race. But the way life works is that God puts us in smaller units, specific families. And, and those really become the relationships that carry us as we go through life. So that's number one. Define who your church family is. It will really help you commit yourself to community. Second, make space. Life is busy for all of us, but we all have the same 24 hours in a day, the same seven days in a week, the same 52 weeks in a year. So sit down and think through your typical weekly schedule, and then make space to be available. So don't just kind of let life run the show and go with the flow and hope that these connections and this fellowship will happen. That's really not how committing to community works. So if that first practical step is defining who, then this second step is going to help you define when. 
Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 describe what I like to call the fellowship salad because there are three lettuces in these verses. First, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Did you realize that fellowship actually starts before you're even with another believer? Fellowship starts by being thoughtful, by considering how you may spur your fellow believers on to love and good deeds. But the second lettuce is let us meet together. And third, let us encourage one another. And I believe we need all three of those to make a quality fellowship salad. So if you're meeting with fellow believers, but you haven't given any thought ahead of time to how you can spur them on to love and good deeds, you just show up. Or if you're leaving that time with your fellow believers and you don't find yourself more encouraged to follow Christ faithfully, then I would say something's off. You know, fellowship isn't quite happening the way that it could be and should be. So let me encourage you to pray about your weekly schedule and give it some thought. And then again, write down when are some times that you're going to set aside during the week to spend with those who are in your church family. When will you pray for them? When will you text them? When will you see them face to face, either in group settings or as individuals? Make space in your schedule. And then the third practical step you can take to commit yourself to community is to find an older mentor and commit to being discipled by that person. Now, I believe that the Bible places the ultimate burden of mentorship on the younger person being mentored and not on the older person doing the mentoring. But at the very least, it's mutual. In other words, you don't have to wait for someone to offer to disciple you. Did you know that the first two disciples of Jesus initiated the relationship with him? How many people knew that? Jesus, yeah, Jesus did not call them. They approached him and asked if they could spend some time with him. And you can read about it in John chapter 1. Likewise, at the end of his life, Paul told Timothy, You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith. Hebrews 13, 7 says, You remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. You consider the outcome of their way of life, and you imitate their faith. At the age of 20, I was fresh out of college and had just recently surrendered my life to Christ. And I wanted to be mentored by an older Christian man because, truth be told, I had seen it practiced with a friend of mine while I was in college who was a Jehovah's Witness. And I had also seen movies like Star Wars and uh, The Karate Kid And in my head, it it just made sense. I thought, I need a Christian version of Obi-Wan Kenobi, or I need a Mr. Miyagi to show me how to live out this new faith that I have in Christ. I don't think uh, Hebrews 13.7 was something that I was familiar with at the time, but as I looked around the small church that I had become part of, I saw three men who seemed like good candidates. They were further along than me in life and in their knowledge of Christ 
And so one by one, I approached each of them, asking if they would spend some time with me outside of Sunday morning, teaching me the Bible and how to follow Jesus. For one reason or another, it turned out that none of these men was in a place where he could disciple me. But one of them said, listen, I I can't provide what you're looking for, but there's a guy at Fort Campbell who I think you you might want to meet, and maybe he could help you. Now, Fort Campbell was a 45-minute drive from where I was living at the time, and it was a military installation. It's an army post. I was a civilian. What's more, uh, he didn't even remember the guy's full name. He just gave me a last name, Bean. And so uh, I went home and I got out my phone book. Bear in mind, the internet was not a thing in those days. And I began to scroll through the alphabetical listing until I came to Bean. And there were seven of them, it turned out, in the phone book. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to start calling them in order and I'll introduce myself I will uh, explain the situation and see if one of them knows anything about discipleship and then ask if they'd be willing to meet with me. So I picked up the phone that was attached to the wall of my house and I dialed the first number in that set of seven names. Now I want you to know that in a couple of months, my wife and I are going to be spending time with Cecil and Jeannie Bean. And they've been our mentors now for 23 years. And ours is a friendship, a a lifelong partnership in the gospel that started with a phone call between two strangers. So let me encourage you to find a mentor and don't wait for someone to offer to to disciple you. Find a mentor and commit yourself, commit yourself to being discipled by that person. So these three things. Defining who your church family is, making space in your weekly schedule to ensure that you're spending time with them, and finding a mentor to disciple you will help you commit to community. And committing to community is one of the keys to living out your commitment to Christ. But there is another one that we're going to look at tomorrow morning, committing to the craft Because not only has God called us into his family, but he's called us into the family business. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us get our time on this earth. And I thank you that so many that are here tonight, just looking around, are early on in that journey in their own lives. And there's so much that uh, they have to look forward to. Lord, I I pray that this would be a weekend that really helps shape their future because of commitments that they make, that they would really take ownership, not just of this earthly life that you've given them, but this spiritual life that you've given them through Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just go with the flow and move through life, but to figure out what, what really matters, what really has value, to figure out what you're calling us to, the life that you're calling us to, and to make those commitments. It's, it's a real adventure that you give each of us the opportunity to walk along. And Lord, I thank you for the way that you've blessed and guided me on my own path that you've had for my wife and I to walk over the years. Lord, I pray that you would do the same 
for the men and women who are gathered here this weekend. I pray especially with regard to what we've talked about tonight, committing to community. Lord, thank you that you didn't just call us to yourself, but you gave us a relationship with you as our Father. You've made us your children, and you've put us in a family of faith. And uh, I pray for this local family of believers, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that they would grow in their knowledge of you, in their faith, and that they would grow in number, that you would be adding to the number of those who belong to this family. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can help us reach more people by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a review. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about us. In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the best way to spread the message.